Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We're continuing our, our uh, series in 1 Thessalonians. Does anybody remember the three questions that we, need to, that we need to keep in mind or try to answer while we read 1 Thessalonians? There were three that I've given you. Is he, one, anybody remember? Is he answering an objection, right? Number two, is he... Yeah, he's defending. Is he defending an accusation? Right. And number three, is he correcting a behavior? So as you, as you continue to read, and I want to encourage you to keep reading First Thessalonians. Uh, and I know you've read it a lot, but keep reading it. Uh, hopefully if you keep reading it, you'll, you'll discover that uh, you don't get bored. You'll see new things. Um, so keep reading First Thessalonians. And I want you to think, keep those three things in mind this morning. Which of these three do you think is going on? Is he, is he answering an objection? Is he defending an accusation? Or is he correcting a behavior? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But as for us, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, We greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. We wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these persecutions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we are going to suffer persecution. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you, and that our labor might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news about your faith and love, and reported that you always have good memories of us, wanting to see us as we also want to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experienced before our God because of you? And as we pray earnestly, very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. One of the things that is really... uh, being, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of, maybe downplayed or done away with in, in the evangelical church today is formal church membership. Um, people say, well, why do, I, why do we have to have formal church membership? I don't see church membership in the Bible. Uh, well, maybe one of these Sundays I'll, I'll, I'll show you where it's there. Um, but they say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't need to become a formal church member. Um, and, and I, I usually liken that to say, well, how would we respond if someone said, well, we really don't need to get go through a marriage ceremony. We love each other. We both know we love each other. We're just going to live together. 
similar to that. Uh, if nothing else, the early church had probably... Now, they weren't perfect. We know that. You know, look at all the times Paul had to correct them. They weren't perfect, but the early church had, a, had very much more of a concept of church membership. What does it mean to be a member of a church? Not an attender, but a member. And I'm gonna, I, I think we see four things here. What I call it profile of a, of a biblical church member through the words of Paul as he addresses this church in Thessalonica. And we're going to see this through the relationship from apostle to the church, but really is a model for us as well as we are members of this body. The first thing I want you to look at is in verses 17 through 18. Let's read those again. He says, for As for us, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. We wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Um, the first thing, the profile of a biblical church member, is they long to be with each other. Biblical church membership means you long to be with your fellow church members. Um, sadly, there are many people, they come to church, they, they come in either just as the service is starting or just after it starts, and as soon as it's over, they're out the back door. Biblical church membership, what it means to be a member of a church, is you have an intense longing to be with the people in your church. Uh, look again what Paul says. He says, I was forced to leave you. Does anybody remember, we went through the, the series in Acts. Anybody remember what he's referring to? Acts 17, he was in Thessalonica. Yeah, the Jews in Thessalonica, they ran him out of town. They said, yeah, him and his cohorts are turned. What did he say? They said, he's turned the world upside down. Really, they turned it up right side up. They turned it upside down, and they chased him. I remember poor Jason. Poor Jason gets drugged before the authorities, and he has to post a security bond. Paul is saying, I was forced to leave you. Now, it's interesting. This, this term... Um, refers to a painful bereavement. It was a word that was used for when someone had been orphaned, ripped apart, torn apart, separated. And this, is the, this is the language that Paul uses, how he felt when he had to leave the church. He felt as though he had been orphaned. People come and go in churches all, all the time. He, he said... I wanted to come back to you time and time again, but what what what, is, what does the text say? Well, you can look at the you don't look at don't look at me. I, it's not here. Satan hindered us. Isn't it interesting that Paul attributes his inability to return to Thessalonica that Satan had hindered him? Now, what was the nature of this hindering? Um, it, could, it could be several things. Number one, some have suggested that maybe part of this, the agreement of the security bond that Jason posted was that Paul couldn't return. And so out of deference to, to Jason, Paul did not return. But more than likely, it was simply for the fact that 
he is referring to the Jews who had run him out of town. In fact, if you look back at verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16, actually we'll start in 15. He says, just as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us, they displeased God and are hostile to everyone. And what does it say? Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles. Very same verb used in chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 18. The very same word. So, in context, what is he probably referring to when he says, Satan hindered me from coming to see you? He's talking about the Jews. That Satan was using the Jews to keep him from coming back to them. Those same Jews that had run him out of town, that had persecuted him. And, and, and isn't it interesting? In fact, keep your marker here. Turn to, turn to the book of Revelation. Remember what I said? It's not, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Who were the primary persecutors of the early church? Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You'd think I'd find it easier. It's the last book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 2. He's, he's writing this. By the way, the whole book of Revelation is written to seven churches. Do we understand that? The whole book is written to seven churches. And, and one of those churches was Smyrna. And he said, Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, says, I know your affliction and poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. God very clearly said that the, those Jews who persecuted the apostles and persecuted the early church were simply doing the work of Satan. In fact, he called it, John called them the synagogue of Satan. They weren't a synagogue of Jews. They were a synagogue of Satan. So more than likely, what, what Paul is referring to in, in, in 1 Thessalonians is he was hindered from turning to them because they wouldn't, the, the threat of those who had run him out of town. So he longs to be with them. In fact, look at these words, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. He said, uh, you are our crown of boasting. Now, our translations um, talk a lot about crowns. And when I grew up, uh, it was, I was told this. I was told that when you did something really good, you would get a crown stored up for you in heaven. And when we think of crown, what do we think of? We think of monarchy, English monarchy, right? A gold crown. And that every time I do something good, I get a crown. And then when, someday when I'm with Jesus, I'm going to take all my crowns and give them to Jesus. Anybody else get taught that? Yeah. Um, there were no biblical texts that say that, but that, that's what they taught us. But our translations that say crown, it, it, it wasn't an English monarchy crown. Does anybody know what it was? It, well, it, well, the, the crown, he, Jesus had a thorny crown, but the crown that they give was from the Olympic Games. It was, a, it was a wreath. It was a garland wreath. And they called it a crown. So we, we th- we're thinking like King Arthur, you know. But it wasn't. They, these, were, these were wreaths. These were garland wreaths. 
And, and this is a, what we call a genitive, right? A crown of boasting. In other words, the crown I'm going to get, the crown, my reward is your fellowship in the faith. You are the, my crown of boasting. He longed to be with them. They were his crown of boasting, his joy. A biblical church member longs to be with one another. Number two, look at me at chapter three. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these persecutions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we were going to suffer persecution. As you know, it happened. For this reason, I could no longer stand it. I also sent and find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. The second part of the profile of a biblical church member is they are concerned about one another's spiritual condition. And this is the one that I, I kind of looked at myself and I said, how often am I concerned about your spiritual condition? And then let me ask you, how often are you concerned about the spiritual condition of your fellow church members? How, how often are we really concerned about our one another's faith? And the reason we aren't is so often we get so caught up in our own struggles, right? And we get, we get caught up in our own challenges, we forget about one another. But Paul said, I, I couldn't stand it. Four times in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see this phrase, your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith. He was concerned about their faith. And so what does he do? He sends Timothy. And how does he describe Timothy? Timothy was God's co-worker. What, what, what an impressive title. God's co He didn't say he was my co-worker. He said he's God's co-worker. Now, here's, here's the question I have. Why was it okay? Why was it safe and okay for Timothy to go back, but not Paul? This is interesting. Which lends credence to the fact that maybe, maybe the, there was something to this security bond that, that Paul was legally banned and barred from returning to Thessalonica because of the Jews who had run him out of town. But it was okay for Timothy. We don't know for sure, but Timothy goes back. He sends Timothy. He is so concerned for them that he wants to send Timothy to them and find out how they are doing. He says two things. I send him to strengthen and encourage you. Strengthen and encourage you. Keep your marker here and turn to second. Corinthians. Turn back a couple of books to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What do churches that are experiencing persecution need? Strength and encouragement. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort. He was concerned that in the midst of this intense persecution, by the way, it continued. After Paul left, it didn't stop. It continued. And he was concerned about their spiritual condition. Four times he says, your faith. Now, why would he be concerned about their faith? What would the temptation be if they were experiencing intense persecution? What would the temptation be? What's that? Abandon the faith. In fact, this is what the whole book of Hebrews is about. The whole book of Hebrews is he's talking to a group of Jews, former Jews who are now believers, who are going, whoa, (laughs) didn't see this coming. They were, they were under intense persecution. They had their property confiscated. Uh, they couldn't buy or sell anything. And they're rethinking. They said, well, when we were still Jewish, life was not bad. We've become Christians and everything's come caving in. And they were, they were in danger of reverting back to Judaism. And the whole message of Hebrews is what? Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't, don't revert back to the Old Covenant. They were in danger of reverting back. In fact, this very word that he uses, being shaken. I don't want you to be shaken. I don't want you to revert back just to avoid persecution. I don't want you to revert back to the old ways because the old ways were not life. The old ways were death. And that's, that's the whole message of the book of Hebrews. And Paul is concerned about this. Paul is concerned that they are going to abandon the faith that they are going to walk away from Christ, that because of the hardships and the persecution that they were, they, they were experiencing, they were going to walk away from Christ. He was intensely concerned about their spiritual condition. In fact, look at verse 5 again. He said, I feared that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be in vain or, or all of our labor might be for nothing. We see this in... Galatians, we see this in Philippians. The focus of Satan's work is the subversion of faith. The the focus of the enemy in your life is to subvert your faith, is to get you to doubt. Started in Genesis. Doubt is a work of Satan. There's, I guess there's a, there's a kind of healthy doubt that we can have. But when, when we have a doubt that shakens us and that is tempting us to abandon our faith, then we know that it is the work of the enemy. And Paul was very concerned. He was very concerned about this church. Now remember, he'd been torn away from them. He does not know what's going on in Thessalonica. And he sends Timothy up there because he is concerned about their spiritual condition. And says, in fact, I, I'm, just, I'm concerned that it, all of the work that we put in is now for naught. Number three, verse six. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love and reported that you always have good memories of us wanting to see us as we also want to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you 
through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. This is kind of a mixture of number one, which was what? He longed to be with them. But number three is they were a source of joy in his life. He says in verse 9, how can, or how can we thank God for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? A biblical church member receives and experiences a sense of joy of being with one another. It's not obligation. It's not just attending a service. But there is a sense of joy that you are a source of joy to me and I need to be a source of joy to you. Now, how does that happen? Um, we've all been in churches, right, where um, we walk into the hallway and we see that person coming and we want to go the other way. L- listen, um, he wants biblical members of a church to be a source of joy to one another. How can we become a source of joy and encouragement to one another? In the context of this, it is to stay strong and grow in your faith. So that when I'm failing, when, I'm, when I am fearful, when I'm doubtful, your faith encourages me. Your commitment in, encourages me. And when you're failing and when you're stumbling and when you're in danger of doubt and, 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 and falling back, my faith will encourage you and will bring you great joy. Well, we are to be a source of joy to one another. In fact, again, he says this is what he means by you are a crown. You are a reward. You, I, I get a great sense of joy through you, through my relationship with you. And he says, as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. How he prayed for them, earnestly, night and day. So, he longed to be with them. We, we long to be with one another. We, we take personal responsibility for one another's faith, for our spiritual condition. We are concerned and we are involved in, in one another's spiritual condition. In, in fact, what is church discipline about? It is simply about we're concerned about their spiritual condition. These are steps that we take because we're concerned about their spiritual condition. It's not to punish them. It's because we're concerned about their spiritual condition. Well, what about, what about the people who you look around and you go, man, I haven't seen them in eight weeks. What do we do? We blow them off? No. We, we, we are involved in, in, in their lives, in their spiritual condition, because we bring each other great joy. I've talked about this before. Uh, I've been in, most of us have been in churches before. Obviously, remember the um, spiritual gift test you'd always take. I could make I could come up with anything I, I really wanted because the questions were just so obvious. Remember, you know, for instance, one of the questions, you know, I, I get a great deal of joy out of listening to others when they are feeling down, uh, uh, or I get a I get a great deal of joy, or I I like. 
uh, discovering new things in the Bible and communicating that to others. You know, I mean, I, well, if I want to have the gift of teaching now, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to answer that. Listen, and, and, oh, and then, by the way, then whatever your spiritual gift is, um, then hopefully they, they would have a job for you in the church. That always seemed just so artificial to me. Here, here's our job. Here's your job, regardless what your spiritual gift is. I think it's probably more of spiritual gifts, uh, uh, probably a mix. Your job is to long to be with one another, to be concerned about one another's spiritual condition, and to be a great source of joy to one another. There you go. That's it. That's our job. That's our role as biblical church members. To be a source of joy, to be concerned about one another's spiritual condition, and to be a source of joy and hope and encouragement to one another in our own faith. Number four, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. This is the second time he's mentioned his coming. If you look at chapter 2, verse 19, it says, is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? So this is prominent now. Remember, it said every chapter has something about his coming. Number four, the biblical profile of a or the profile of a biblical church member is they pray intently for spiritual growth and blessing for one another. They pray intently for spiritual growth and blessing for one another. And he prays three things here with this phrase, may, may, may. The first one is, may he direct our way to you. In other words, may may he overcome the hindrance that I mentioned earlier. I'm being hindered. I'm, I'm praying that God will overcome that hindrance that I may return to you. And 1 Peter 5 talks about Satan is like a lion prowling about, looking who may, he may devour. In, in essence, what Paul is saying is, I want you to restrain him. I want you to block him. I want you to make it possible for me to return to them. We don't know if he ever did or not. We don't know if Paul ever was able to return to them physically and personally. But I suspect he probably did. In light of the fact that he said, I'm praying that God would overcome this hindrance. And and that leads me to, to say this. God's sovereignty does not mean that nothing bad happens. Or there aren't challenges in life. Or there are not obstacles in life. But in fact, the very sovereignty of God uses those challenges and those obstacles in our lives. We may not ever know how he used that, but he does. So he says, I pray that God would direct my way to you, that he had overcome the hindrance. Number two, he says, I may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. So the second thing he's praying for them is that they that their love would increase and overflow. Now here's what's interesting. He didn't say that they weren't doing it. In fact, earlier on he said, I, remember chapter 1? 
what was one of the things that was reverberating throughout the whole region? It was their love for one another. He's saying, I want your love to increase. I want it to overflow. The profile of biblical church members, they lo- the members, they love one another. And he encourages them to keep on loving one another. Now, this is hard. Chuck Swindoll called this the porcupine syndrome. You know, he, you ever hear it when he said that? He said it's like porcupines, being church members, and being together is kind of like porcupines who start huddling together. And what happens when porcupines huddle together? They start poking each other. Listen, a church that has no interpersonal conflicts of any kind means probably not you were not close. The closer we get to one another, the greater the chances are we start what? Poking one another. We say, maybe we say something that offended them. Or maybe, maybe someone didn't have a good filter and said something he shouldn't have said or she said. <laughs> Don't know anybody like that? Listen, he says, I want your love to increase and to overflow. Uh, keep your mark here real quickly. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. In Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, he's saying this is our responsibility. But he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, for God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work for his good purpose. We will only be able to love one another the way Paul expects us to love one another as God enables us. As we grow in our faith, as we long to be with one another, as we experience joy from one another, our love will increase and overflow. He will enable that to happen. And when those times come when we, we get poked, we poke someone else, we forgive, we overlook, we move on. Paul says, I pray that he would direct our way to you. I pray that your love would increase and overflow. And number three, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Now, there's a lot packed in this verse. Or in the, yeah, in this verse. Um, what's his ultimate... Not ultimate. What's a big desire of God for us? That we would be holy. And he says, I want you that you may be found holy at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to start getting into eschatology now. And uh, most of you know where I, where I come from eschatologically. So if you disagree with me, you're just going to have to hang in there. Okay? If you want equal time, I'm more than willing to give you equal time. Um, the question is, what is this coming referring to? Well, some people say it's, it's, it's a so-called rapture. Um, that, that we would be found blameless when we're raptured. Um, others believe that this is referring to the second coming. And everybody understands those are two different concepts, the second coming. Um, We will leave it at that for now. 
chapter 4, we'll, we'll have to dig into it a little bit more. Whether, whether you believe this is talking about a rapture or the second coming, what's the real point at this, at this point? That we are to be holy. He prays that we would be holy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, it doesn't matter how you live. God loves you in your mess. Or bless my mess. Or I don't know what it is. God's concerned about how we live. One apostle confronted another apostle because of it. Remember? In Galatians chapter 2, Paul confronts Peter. Why? Because his doctrine was out of line? No. Because he was not walking consistent with the gospel. In other words, it's not just, I mean, doctrine is, is preeminent. Our unity is our doctrine. But at the same time, when we don't walk consistent with the scriptures, two apostles, one apostle confronted another apostle publicly because he wasn't walking in line with the truth of the gospel. It matters how we live. It matters to one another how we live. It matters to the Lord how we live. Now, he's enabling us, but we have responsibility. That's part of sanctification. So, he prays intently for their spiritual growth and blessing, that he, they would direct, he would direct their way to you, that they would cause you to increase and overflow with love. Number three, that you'd make your hearts blameless in holiness at his coming. What's the profile of a biblical church member? They long to be with one another. They're concerned about one another's spiritual condition. They experience a great deal of joy being with one another. And number four is they intently pray for one another, for their spiritual condition, for their faith, and for blessing. So the application is clear, right? Three questions. Do we have a longing to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I, I, I can honestly tell you, I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for Friday night. I, I just have a longing. When we were in Iowa, we're, we're, at, we're at my daughter's church, and we're de- they're, they're dedicating one of my grandkids. You know where I was? I was here. I was going, let's see her. We're, we're, we're an hour. Let's see her an hour. Let's see her. Tom's probably reading right now. And I... I, I I, I love my daughter. I love my grandkids. We had a great time. But you know what? I long to be here. I long to be here. And I'm not saying to pat myself on the back, but I'm just saying that's what I think he's talking about. He longed to be with one another. It's not... Psh, psh. One, of the, one of the things I do when I visit a church is I, I observe what happens after church. Does everybody just leave? Uh, or do people stand and talk and visit and, and spend time with one another? Do we have a longing to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ? In fact, what does Hebrews say? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Long to be with one another. Number two, are we concerned about one another's spiritual condition? Or do we not even really even think about that? You know, are we concerned about what our brother, how our brother and sister are doing in their faith? Do we even know? And that goes really with number one. If we're never around them, we won't know. Are we concerned about them? Number three, are they a source of joy? Are you experiencing a source of joy in your life by being with other members of this church?
And number three is, do we offer prayers? Uh, we, we've had a lot of prayer requests lately. And, and you know that I send out emails for prayer requests. What do you do with those? Do you really pray? Uh, really pray. Do it right then. Uh, don't be, I'll pray for you, man. Pray. Pray right then. They pray the, intently for each other. Uh, you want to be a biblical church member? Do these four things. Do these four things. Let's pray. Father, this was a great church. The church in Thessalonica was a good church. It was a faithful church. It was a church that was facing so, many, so, many, so much hardship and persecution. And yet they continued to love one another. That, that they had a mutual longing to be with one another. Father, I continue to pray for crossroads. That we would be biblical church members. That we would not only make a formal commitment to this church, but we would make a biblical commitment. It's not just signing on a dotted line. It's about involving our lives in, in the lives of other people. That we would be a source of joy and comfort and encouragement. That others at times would be a source of joy, strengthening and comfort to us. Father, thank you for your word that we are not left in the dark, that we don't have to make this stuff up, but that you tell us how we can be biblical church members. We thank you and we pray all these things in Christ's name.